0: Welcome to the Southridge Church Podcast. This week's awesome message will start in a few seconds. But first, we want you to stay connected with us. You can find us on sanjose.cc or subscribe to the podcast. Well, take your Bible, if you would, to the book of Luke, chapter number 15. Luke 15. And uh, if you are a little bit nervous saying, why is this white guy appropriating another culture? I just want to just let you know real quick, my wife is Filipino, and this is the one time a year I get to wear a barong. Now, I ripped mine last time, so I had to borrow this barong. So, I came to church this morning. People were like, hey, the white Black Panther. And I was like, and then my son Kane, real quick, man, he is quick for five. He's like, he's not the Black Panther. He's the Pink Panther. And I was like... Son, man, nah, you know, so uh, I, I, I'll go with it, all right? Pink Panther it is this morning, but today is Multicultural Sunday, and I love it because we are a very diverse church, and we love that because we want to reflect the city of San Jose. The city of San Jose has so many different cultures to celebrate, and we want to be a church where you don't have to feel awkward or out of place. We want you you to feel like, man... I could go there. There's 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 all kinds of people there. And uh, they have a great time. And there is a buffet of all different types of food from around the world outside afterward waiting for us. And there's some good stuff out there. And I promise you, we said international buffet. It is not Taco Bell. It's not KFC. And it's not Panda Express. Alright? There, there's some good stuff. Alright? Now, some of you are like, but I love Taco Bell. No, no, no. Taco Bell is great every once a few years. You know? I, I, I made the mistake of recently eating at Taco Bell. And I realized why you can only do that once every couple of years. You know, that is not designed for human consumption, although it does taste delicious. So anyway, I digress. Your Bible's open to Luke chapter number 15. We're in a series throughout the month of October where our whole church pivots directions because we want to be focused on what our mission as a church is. Our mission is leading people to find and follow Jesus. That's why we planted Southridge Church. That's our goal. That's our aim is to make San Jose a hard place to go to hell from. We want San Jose to be a different city because of our presence. We want to make it so that crime goes down, blight goes down. We don't want it where you're worried in San Jose about things being stolen. You're more worried that, man, people keep giving me stuff because they're so generous because the city is being transformed. And that's what can happen when Christ comes into a community and takes over. And so we are not here to maintain, but we are here to multiply as the old adage goes because we want to lead people to find and follow Jesus. We started off in week number one. We said we are rescued to be rescuers. That's our calling. Is once God has saved us, we need to go after others. Last week, we learned from a great message from Angel that when it comes to salvation, we want to know that we are, have true salvation. And so he laid it out perfectly for us. But this week, I want to kind of drill into one thing. Why sharing Christ can be intimidating and maybe even scary. I think about all the scary things I've done and maybe the scary things you've done. Maybe you've jumped out of an airplane skydiving. Maybe you've gone bungee jumping or maybe you've swam with sharks. Maybe you've gone zip lining or maybe you were like, Andrew and Alexis, and you proposed, and it's that nervous feeling when uh, you're about to go take that next step. You're like, "Man, this is... Whoo! You take a deep breath. This is... This is scary taking this next step." But I would venture to say that maybe you're similar to me, that when it comes time to share Jesus, that can be sometimes scary, can be sometimes awkward, it can sometimes be intimidating. And even come across a little bit unnatural. And we step back. and We know it shouldn't be like that, but it just kind of feels like that. You know, my grandfather died when I was just two years old. And so uh, my mom's stepdad became my grandfather. And uh, I love my grandfather. He was great, but he was a serious atheist. Uh, he was at Pearl Harbor when it was bombed. And he saw World War II and all of its horror. And he said, after going through that, there's no way I could believe in a God. And so anytime you try to talk to him about Christianity or God, he would get irate. He would get upset. He would cuss you out. He didn't want to have anything to do with it. He would never go to church. Wouldn't go. Even though my dad was a pastor and I grew up in and, uh, and a pastor's home and all that, we would invite him to church. He would not go. So I remember when I was about six, I really wanted him to be saved. So I wrote him a letter, you know, like grandkids do, a nice letter to their grandpa. And then I put inside a gospel track. How many remember a gospel track? We don't do so many anymore, but that's what I gave him. And I looked for the right one. You know, we used to have these chick tracks. Any of you remember the Chick Tracks? Those things were the scariest things I've ever seen. It's like the Christian cartoons, but really dark and really scary. And you read through those. I was like, no, let's not give him one of those. So I was looking for the right track to give him. He said, did he get saved? No, he didn't. And I would over and over invite him to church and he would never go. So years later, I convinced Jane, my wife, to do something crazy at our wedding. I said, hey, grandpa and grandma are coming to our wedding. So if they won't go to church, let's bring church to them. So after the ceremony, we asked everybody to stay, and we told them we have a free gift for them. So everybody, you know, FOMO, everybody just stayed. Want to know what their free gift? And I had asked James Pastor, Pastor Larry Obero, a Filipino pastor, nicest, kindest guy. Nobody can say no to Pastor Obero. I said, hey, you're going to give them their free gift. He was like, what is their free gift? The free gift of salvation, you know? And he was like, I don't think that's going to have the effect. back. I was like, I don't care. My grandfather's going to be there. I want him to get saved. And so we had everybody stay as he presented the gospel and what it means to have the gift of salvation. You say, did your grandfather get saved? No, he did not. So years go by. You keep inviting. You keep trying. He gets upset. He gets mad. Very difficult person to witness to. And then my sister, Lydia, she's getting married. So I begged her. I said, Lydia, this is my last chance. I was like, Lydia, I know this is your wedding, but grandpa's going to be there. So uh, let me preach at your wedding. She said, are you kidding me? I said, no, I'm totally honest. And I said, I want to give a old school Bow your heads, close your eyes, raise your hand if you want to accept Jesus Christ in the middle of her wedding. And man, I was gunning for my grandfather. I wanted to see him saved. And so, you know, you present the gospel as best as you can. And then you said, heads bowed, eyes closed, which is the weirdest thing at a wedding. Like that is just the most awkward thing. Everybody's looking around, you know, what are we doing? It's like this bride and groom standing there. And you have everybody kind of raise your hand if you want to be saved. And I'm looking at my grandfather. And man, I'm like trying to give him the look, man, like trying to drive conviction into his heart. Nothing was working. This guy went through World War II. Nothing's budging him. And then he passed a few years ago. You say, did he ever get saved? I honestly don't know. But it was some of the hardest things to witness to him. Maybe you have a family member like that. Maybe you have a loved one, a neighbor, a coworker. And you say, it's awkward to talk about Jesus to him. And then I thought about it. Why is it awkward to talk about Jesus to him? Because if you notice what we like to talk about, we actually talk about some of the stupidest things. Like right now, right now I'm on this health food kick. So I used to have a nice cup of coffee in the morning and then in the afternoon I'd drink a Red Bull, you know, just a little pick me up in the afternoon. Little Red Bull, you know, just crush a Red Bull. You know how much sugar is in a Red Bull? I had no idea that I was basically killing myself by drinking all these Red Bulls. And I was like, there's got to be a healthier alternative. So I went down the rabbit hole of what is a healthy energy drink substitute. And my conclusion, there are none. So I found the lesser of two evils, and it's called Celsius. How many of you ever heard of Celsius? I have become the evangelist for Celsius, okay? Everybody I talked to, I was like want to like smack a Red Bull out of their hand and hand them a Celsius. Like uh, somebody in the, in the office, they'll come in, they'll be drinking a Frappuccino. And I'm like, that's death in a cup. Don't drink it. garbage. It's sugar. And you're giving it to a child. You horrible person, you know? And then I'm like, drink Celsius instead. And I, I, I'm, I'm like, adamant about it. I stocked the staff fridge with it. As a matter of fact, I ordered a a refill from Amazon, and I stuck it in my house, and I can't tell Jane, so she's not in the service. She doesn't know. It's great. But then the worship team, they practice in our offices, and they've gotten into Celsius, except some of them drink half and throw it away. I know who you are, and you're not recycling. We gotta care about this planet. Recycle at least. Don't just take my Celsius and then not finish it, okay? That's like sacrilege, all right? And so, but then I was at cost yesterday, and they had Celsius, cheaper than I had it, so I didn't need it, but I still bought it because I love Celsius, and you know what I did? Even though I just ordered some on Amazon Prime, I ran home real quick before the wife could find out and try to cancel it, but it wouldn't cancel it, so I got a bunch of Celsius. If we're gonna have a Celsius party after church, we're all just gonna be just caffeinated. It's great because it's made with green tea and this guarana extract, so it's really healthy caffeine for you. It doesn't give you the little crash. And I've gone on for about three and a half minutes about Celsius, stupidest thing in the world, isn't it? Like, really, it's dumb. But why is I have no problem talking about Celsius? Why is we have no problem talking about sports? No problem talking about shoes? No problem talking about cars? Oh, no problem talking about pets. And it's really weird when your pet is like a weird kind of pet, something like a normal. I have a cat. I have a dog. You're like, I have a donkey, and you're like, what? That's just a flex. That's just, you're just trying to get attention. You know, people just have this odd thing or they got the backpack with their cat looking out the little window, you know, it's like they're a little astronaut, you know, and I see them at the airport. It was like, oh my goodness, that's as bad as putting your cat on a leash and walking your cat. It's like, no, this is weird. And we don't have any problem talking about these things. But why is it when it comes to Jesus, all of a sudden we're like, well, I don't want to talk about Jesus and be labeled a Jesus freak. Oh, I don't want to be, like, known as, like, a crazy religious person, so I just won't talk about it. Can I challenge you this week? People actually don't have a problem when you talk about Jesus. They don't. Start talking about Jesus and see what happens. Most of the time, they're like, oh, that's cool. You do you. It's really inside us that we feel like there's a stereotype to it. And I believe that too often we are locked in fear instead of simply saying, I'm gonna talk about Jesus. I'm just gonna lift him up. This morning, the people at my gym sat over here and they're filling up more and more rows because why? We talk about Jesus at our gym and guess what? More people start coming because we talk about Jesus. When you start talking about Jesus, actually people have problems and they've tried everything else and then they find Jesus, that he is the answer to their problems. And then they're like, awesome, I want to know more about Jesus. But yet we have fallen for this, which brings me to Luke 15. Notice verse number one. I love it because it says this, tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. Isn't that amazing? These weren't Christians. These weren't pastors' kids, missionaries' kids, evangelists' kids, deacons' kids, elders' kids. These were the notorious sinners who liked to talk to Jesus, and they liked not what he said, but what he taught. Isn't that amazing? That Jesus had no problem talking about things, and they weren't repelled by it. They were actually drawn to it. More often than not, you will find that your family and your coworkers are drawn to it. Why? Because Jesus makes us a better person. I've shared with you before that five years into marriage, my wife was done with me leaving to San Diego. And it was that that moment where it's like, whoa, I need to do a little shift in the way that I do life. And I sought God on some things. And now almost 14 years later of marriage, we've made it through some real burdens and trials. And it was Jesus who's helped me. It's Jesus who's helped me get over hangups and hurts and bad habits. That's what Jesus does in our life. Why wouldn't somebody want that? Why wouldn't we be able to share with that? I love it. Verse number two. But this made the Pharisees and teachers of the religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people. And this is even more scandalous. Jesus was even eating with them. Oh my goodness. They couldn't believe. They went to Panera Bread, and there Jesus was eating with those sinners and one of them was a tax collector. He could, they were losing their minds. I hope that when I go to Applebee's or when I go to Chipotle or In-N-Out, there you are sitting there with a Bible or maybe your iPad with a Bible app on it or your phone, talking about Jesus with somebody that you know is either homeless, hurting, broken, dysfunctional, where people would almost want to judge you because of who you're with, but yet you are opening the Bible and telling them that Jesus can change their life? Wouldn't that be a good thing? How could we not like that? I noticed this. This is free. We actually aren't judging individuals. We're actually judging issues. You see, You and I, we will judge a person, but really it's not that person. It's the issue we have with them. Oh, they're divorced. Oh, they're from this lifestyle. Oh, they've done this. You're actually judging their issue, not the individual. But it's amazing how an issue will stop you from inviting them to receive Christ. Because we've made the issue the biggest deal. Oh, well, they align with this group I can't talk to them. No, no, no. We need to. That's what Jesus did. He didn't care what group you aligned with, what group you voted for. He said, do you need Jesus? Excellent. Let me present the gospel, the good news of salvation to you. That's what Jesus did. And that's the mission of South Ridge Church, leading people to find and follow Jesus. The story gets better. Verse number three. So Jesus told them this story. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go and search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. When he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. Jesus is using his favorite analogy to talk about people. His analogy is that of sheep. Anybody have any interaction with sheep? Can I see your hands? Oh, we got one, two, okay. A few interaction with sheep, okay. Okay. I've only had one interaction with sheep and it's probably gonna be very offensive, but so let me say this, because if there's any PETA in the room, let me just say, I am sorry for my transgressions. I was 18 years old, I didn't know better and I was a freshman in college and I do love animals. I've had dogs, I've had ducks, I've had chickens, I've had even cats growing up and now I have a husky and a horse, okay? So I do love animals, so all of that to preface, When I was in college, I went to college in Antelope Valley, which is kind of by Mojave. There's nothing to do there, but there's a bunch of sheep and alfalfa fields. And I was at a dorm off campus, and a bunch of people that were in my dorm were all from Oregon. Not the cool part of Oregon, like Portland. Like, we like avocado toast and expensive coffee. Like, these were more of, like, the hick that 7-Eleven coffee was good for them. Like, that was a good cup of coffee. And they were just kind of good old boys. And one of them, when I came back on Friday night, we didn't have anything to do. Now, let me preface this. There was no alcohol involved. So this makes this idea even a little bit worse. All right? So I walk into the dorm room, and there is this big old, like, hard to describe. I could tell it was made out of, like, some PVC pipe, but it was spray-painted black. And then it had this little, look like a barbecue lighter on the top of it. And I was looking at this thing, and then I saw a bunch of potatoes in a bag next to it, and then I put two and two together. They had made the world's greatest potato gun, and I was like, this is awesome, and they immediately had this idea, like, we got to shoot stuff, because that's what 18-year-old guys do, especially if you're from the middle of Oregon. You go and shoot stuff with a potato gun, but this wasn't any normal potato gun. This was a supercharged potato gun. They put a handle on it, had a little scope on it, and across the street from our dorm was a herd of you know where this is going. You know where I already told you. I, I, I repent in dust and ashes right now for what happens next, especially if you love sheep. And I mean, you don't just love to eat them. Like you kind of love them. Uh, this is horrible. So we then needed a target to shoot spuds at. And so we saw across the street, that there was a herd of sheep. So we crossed the street, went into the fields, middle of the night, and we started picking our moving targets of sheep. And you just hear the sound. And their potato would just go. And we did it one time. One time, man, and we just heard, and like that was that was it, like lights out. But then something happened next. You say, what happened? There was a stampede of sheep. Now, I thought sheep are, like, really dumb and timid that they would just run the other way. Oh, no, 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 no. These sheep all of a sudden were angry, and they knew where that spud had come from. So they actually turned towards us and started charging towards us. And I'm not very big, like, look at this, pink panther. I mean, immediately you would think, hey, make yourself big. You know, that's what they say to scare off the grizzlies. I didn't do that. It was more of, like, a fetal cuddle position, like, hold yourself and start rocking back and forth kind of emotion thing. And then the sheep comes and the sheep jumps over my head, barely clears my head. So if anything in this face is messed up, I'll blame it on the sheep. Uh, so that stampede happened. They're just running. And I hear some of these orgy guys laughing. Some of them are screaming. Some of them are doing a laugh cry because they just, they did not expect this reaction out of the sheep, just running everywhere. And then we ran back, you know, and then the next day I'm driving back from work and I look out in the field and I see, I see the rancher. And I see the sheriff and I was like, oh my goodness. And I took off. So once again, uh, forgive me for what I did when I was 18, but that's my only interaction with sheep. But I was surprised because I was like, surely that stampede, maybe the sheep got loose or something. Because it doesn't take much to scare sheep and then sheep are gone. And this passage of scripture, there's a sheep that has gone astray. It's lost, it's missing. And Jesus is illustrating the fact that what does the shepherd do when there's just one sheep that's missing? you and I immediately kind of chalk it up and just say well it's just one sheep it's not a big deal well it may not but for the shepherd it was that represented wool that represented maybe uh, pork chops who who knows or lamb chops there's a couple things that this sheep represents I mean you and I we kind of have this idea that it's not that big of a deal because we're not in that culture in that society I mean if you had 100 pennies and you lost one are you really concerned about it not really if you had $101 bills and you lost $1 bill, would you go back for it? You're like, probably. If you had $1,000 and you lost $10, you were like, yeah, I'd probably go back for that. That's, that's a gallon of gas right there. Yeah, I'm definitely going to go back for that. If you had $10,000 and you left $100, are you are going to go back for it? You're like, of course. If you have $100,000, you're going to go back for $10,000? you are like, yes, absolutely. Why? Because we associate value with the greater the number. But why is it that Jesus puts value on the smallest number? One. Isn't that profound? That Jesus says, I have the same amount of value because here in this passage, 99 plus one is 100. This is a whole number. He was talking about, I want everybody to be in the sheepfold. I want everybody to be saved. In this passage, we see the shepherd does something because he wants wholeness. He leaves the 99. You see, in this passage, we see the missing sheep clarified something. All of a sudden, he realized what's important. The missing sheep is important. He wants to go after it. I said in the first service, and I'll say it now, if your house was on fire, condo was on fire, apartment was on fire, immediately would you jump up and say, rescue the VHS tapes. Rescue the a track tapes. Get my CD collection. 98 degrees, blink, weight 82. Come on, gotta have it. No, that'd be crazy. It's not valuable. You'd be like, where's my family? Where's maybe my driver's license, my passports, birth certificates, and let's go. The fire clarifies what's important to you. In this passage here, Jesus is saying, hey, the one missing, that's what's important. And at Southridge Church, it's the loss that matters. It's the one that's not here that we want to go after. It's the one that's strayed that we say, hey, let's bring them back to God. Let's bring them back to faith. Let's leave the 99 and let's go after. Now, here's what's crazy. Leaving 99 to go after one seems crazy unless you were that one. Then it's not crazy. And can I tell you, each and every one of us at one point in our life, we were the one. And Jesus left heaven to go after us. And if it was just about us, Jesus still would have left heaven even for one because he values one. That's why we have a whole campaign entitled Who is your one? We want to go after the one. That one could be your neighbor. It could be your spouse. It could be your son, your daughter, your cousin, your neighbor, your coworker. But we believe that one person matters. And we will do whatever it takes to go after the one. So if it means giving them a gift card, we'll do it. If it means doing an international buffet, we'll do it. If it means having an espresso machine, we will do it. Whatever it takes, we'll give away backpacks. We'll do whatever it can. We can because we want to see people and lead them to find and follow Jesus. That's what matters to us here at Southridge, it's people and that's what mattered to Jesus but can I tell you, this person looked foolish, it looks foolish to leave 99, but he wasn't foolish, he's focused he's focused on what matters, this morning are you focused on what matters I already shared that we can talk about shoes, cars jobs, sports you know what, next year it's going to be Raiders and Niners we're going to be starting all over again Niners, Niners, there we go we started off good, let's see if we can hold it Next year, we'll be talking about A's and we'll talk about Giants. Pretty soon, hockey's starting up and we're going to be talking about the sharks. We're going to be talking about the earthquakes. We're going to be talking about these things next year. Hey, can I tell you what? We're talking about politics and guess what? Another two years, we're going to be talking about politics. Another four years, we're going to be talking about politics. Taxes, we're going to be talking about taxes. War, we're going to be talking about war. But when we're talking about a soul, that's what matters People matter where you're going to spend eternity matters and we want to know, let people know that we are not foolish and it may seem foolish to do some of the things that our church does buying christmas trees hauling them down from oregon and giving them away getting backpacks filled with school supplies and giving them away sending missionaries all across the globe and financially support them that may seem crazy building an orphanage in india that might seem crazy taking a mission trip to panama that might seem crazy but it's not crazy we actually have clarified our values We know what's important. My friend, have you clarified what's important? It's amazing how we can get distracted with things that just don't matter. We can spend pretty much staying up all night to binge watch a show, and we did not spend any time asking God, give me a burden from my neighbor who every week you see them and you see the sad look in their eyes. They're going through depression. They're going through discouragement. And it would mean so much if you just said, you know what, I've been thinking about you. And uh, hey, I I made you a meal or I bought you a meal or here's a Grubhub or here's a Starbucks. And they would look at you and say, why did you do that? And you say, you know what? I'm, I'm asking God to give me a heart for people and to notice people. And they would say, really? You would notice me? Because nobody notices me. Nobody cares about me. You see, Jesus leaves the 99. He leaves what is comfortable because God wants everybody to be saved. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That's not talking about this globe. It's talking about the world. Luke 19, 10, for the son of man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. But I love verse number four. It says, if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Will he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go and search for the one that is lost? And he will search for a day? Is that what the scripture says? He'll search for a week. Is that what it says? He'll search for a month. He'll search for two months. What does it say, church? Until he finds it. it. That means he doesn't give up the search. Jesus never gave up on us. And we should never give up on each other. We should never give up on the city of San Jose. We should never give up on Santa Clara County. You see, Jesus says, I search until they're found. And if your spouse is not saved, keep searching. If your son or daughter's not saved, keep searching. If your father or mother's not saved, keep searching. Your neighbor's not saved, keep searching. I kept searching and searching trying to bring my grandfather home as much as I could from the time I was six until he passed three years ago. I did as much as I could. I couldn't do everything, but I did as much. I would call. I'd meet up. I'd write letters. I would alter family get-togethers just so I could present to him Jesus. I wanted for him, it was going to be hard to go to hell. We've made it easy for people to go to hell by our silence. We don't say anything, and people just slip into eternity. That co worker you spend all those years with complaining about your job, complaining about the long hours. How about instead of complaining, you say, You know what? I'm so excited because I'm going to church and see all my church family. You should come. I'm so grateful that even though this job is long and it's hard, I'm grateful I get to work it with you. I'm grateful that I get to spend every day with you. You say, but it's so much work to go after one. But one is worth the work. It's worth it. But can I say, I would need to tell you about this lost person, though. It's real easy to judge individuals, but you're not judging individuals. You're judging issues. That's really what you're judging. But let me tell you this. Do you think somebody wakes up one day and says, I want to get lost today. Nobody wakes up saying, I want to become an addict. I want to become a murderer. I want to blow up my career. I want to become a lost person. Nobody does that. So how do people get lost? Well, the answer's simple. You see, growing up, we had a store called Toys R Us. Anybody remember Toys R Us? Yes, I'm going to be a Toys R Us kid, right? Right? We remember it. Man, my parents would say, stay right here. But when we'd walk past the aisle that I wanted to see something, I was gone. I wanted to see what was down that aisle. And that aisle took me to another aisle, took me to another aisle. And then I look up and I can't find my parents. I didn't start out trying to get lost. I got lost because I was looking for something. And you and I get lost because of what we're looking for. We're looking for that boyfriend or girlfriend that'll satisfy. We're looking for that job that will satisfy. We're looking for that church that might satisfy. We're looking for that relationship. We're looking for the next high, the next low. We're looking for that substance. We're looking for something that'll satisfy when we just have to look to Jesus and Jesus satisfies the desires of our heart. This is why it says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. And we're just out there like the Costco sample person. Come on, Costco samples. On a Saturday, some of the best samples. You don't need to buy lunches to cheap uh, and you just go to costco and they got all those samples and we're out there saying hey this is sampling jesus oh taste and see it's good and you don't have to buy it it's free 99 he gave it to you it's a free gift of salvation but yet what are we doing as a church we're saying i don't want me to be look weird folks i'm wearing a purple barong who cares if we look weird Like we need to kind of get over ourselves to tell people about Jesus because that's all that matters. And if we're misunderstood, who cares? If we're maligned, who cares? If we're judged, who cares? Because we're after making sure that San Jose is a hard place to go to hell from. We want people to know Jesus. So when you look at a lost person, you mark it down that they didn't start out lost. They were looking for something. And Jesus satisfies All throughout the 90s, my family, we'd load up, all nine of us, in a blue Econoline van. You say, wait a minute, I know that van. It seats eight. How did you get nine people in there? My family was cheap. We went down to the pick and pull. We found an old RV. We unbolted the captain's chair in that RV, and then we bolted it to the back of our Econoline van, and it was a swivel captain's chair in the back of the van. And that thing, as you're driving down the freeway, would just give you a little, like, you know, Disneyland teacup thing, and it was great. It's cool. It was weird. Didn't match the blue. It was gray. But man, we would cruise down there. And then something would happen because we would take the 80 all the way across the country in a van. Nine kids. Bless my parents' heart that they didn't bury us somewhere in Utah. Because you got seven kids getting on your last nerve. No iPad. No TV. Oh my goodness. What were my parents thinking? And then something would happen because my mom had the Rand McNally map. You say, why didn't she ask Siri? It was the 90s. What you had was a Rand McNally map that you highlighted your route. And if you fell asleep and missed your turn, oh, you were lost. And today... Have you thought about how hard it is to get lost today? Like, it is not impossible to get lost. So I have no sympathy when you call me up and say, I'm lost in San Jose. No, you ain't lost. I will turn on my, find my iPhone and I will find you. You are not lost. Uncle Sam is tracking you everywhere you go. You are not lost because Uncle Sam wants your money. He will make sure you're not lost. They coming for you because they know exactly how much you owe them. It's hard to get lost, except spiritually. This valley is filled with people that are lost. And our church has a great opportunity. But then as we close, notice verse 5 and 6. And when he has found it, and I don't like this part of the verse. Let me just be honest. I don't like it. Because this sheep was not chased out, this sheep was not bullied. This sheep was not canceled. This sheep got lost. It was not the shepherd's fault, but the sheep's fault. My husky is an escape artist. Always getting out. And notice what it says in verse five. And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. And right, I I have a hard time that he's happy that he found that sheep. Because that sheep took him over rocky, dangerous terrain to find that sheep. And he's happy about it. Whenever my husky gets out, I'm like, oh my goodness. And it's always like on a Saturday evening, right before Sunday, like it's a big day. And it's just out, just roaming the countryside. My, my husky has literally escaped from San Jose and made it to San Francisco. We found it because somebody tried to kidnap my dog and they liked my dog. And it was a good, I have a good Instagram dog. And so we found my dog on Instagram. And I was like, you have my dog. And that's how we found her. She made it to San Francisco. You say, how? I don't know. She took an Uber. My dog's smart, better than your dog. And my dog made it. My dog gets out. And I'm never, when I find her, I'm like, oh, my goodness, this dog on my last nerve. I've never been joyful when I've had to chase my dog. As a matter of fact, I'm like, whose idea was it to get this dog? Was it Megan? Was it Austin? And then I'm like, it was Jane's idea. I was like, I'm going to say this dog died. I'm going to leave this dog right here. I'm going to take this dog to Coyote Valley and let the coyotes have my dog. Because my dog gets out all the time. But Jesus says when the lost person, because this is not sheep we're talking about, we're talking about people. He's saying when this lost person, this person that has strayed, this person that has wandered, this person that went looking for the wrong things that God clearly said don't look for it, and this person got into all the mess, the trouble, into the addictions, into the illicit stuff. When this person does all that and they come back, when Jesus finds it, Jesus says, I'm happy about it. And that's the spirit that our church is. When somebody comes back in on a Sunday morning, we're like, give them a high five, give them a hug. They made it to church this morning because they've been through the wilderness. They've been through all kinds of mess. And here they are. And we need to be like the shepherd that we picked them up. And the shepherd gives this sheep a piggyback ride. He's so happy to see it. That's powerful, church. So when you see somebody that's lived for the world, somebody that may not sold their soul to the devil, but they certainly loaned it to him, and they come back, our spirit needs to be welcome home. Question, question for you. Where does a sheep belong? First service at the dinner table, so don't get snarky with me in the second service. Where does a sheep belong? It's not hard. You're like, the answer is Jesus. I'm at church, so it doesn't matter, if it's Jesus. No, the sheep belongs in a sheepfold with other sheep, correct? But in verse number five, where does he take the sheep? He takes them home. I love this. Wherever you've been, God doesn't put you back. He won't put you back into that mess. He doesn't say, hey, yes, what? You used to be an addict. I'm going to put you right back into that mess. You deserve that. Hey, you used to mess around. I'm going to put you right back. Hey, you're from dysfunction and brokenness and betrayal. I'm gonna put you right back in that. No, He doesn't do that. He says, "Get on my shoulders. I'm gonna carry you." But guess what? We're going. We're going to my house. And guess what? His house is a lot nicer than any of our houses. And he's saying, you're coming home. And here's what blows my mind because sheep do not belong in a family. They belong in the sheepfold. So what happens? This is where the scripture talks about behold all things have become new. You're a new creature in Christ. New creature means just that. You're not a sheep anymore. You're a part of the family of God. And when you're part of the family of God, you don't belong with the sheep. You belong in the house. This morning there are people in San Jose that don't belong out there. They belong in here and it's our job to go into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in to do whatever it takes to say jesus wants you to come home please come home and we beg them and we say please don't die in your sins and go to hell it is our job as a church that we all say you know what we're empowered to go and take the gospel to him to let him know that jesus loves them and he died for them and he gave his life for them and you and i that's our commission that's what we're called to to go out into the highways and hedges but what does the church do we just gather listen to beautiful worship and then we call it a day and we watch as our loved ones and our neighbors pass on i've had two close people die in the last week I'm flying out to chicago for my grandmother's funeral life is but a vapor and we act like we have all this time when we're talking about celsius when we should be talking about jesus we should just be telling people, it's Jesus all that matters. That's what they need. And Jesus brings them home. And that's what we do. But it blows my mind what Jesus does in verse 6. It says this, that when he arrives, he calls together his friends and his neighbors. And he says, rejoice with me because I found my lost sheep. Instead of berating the sheep, he celebrates the sheep. You and I don't deserve to be celebrated, but that's what Jesus does. This is what the psalmist says. He sings worship songs over us. He's pleased with us. You say, but but he knows what I did, right? He knows where I've been, right? He knows what I thought. He knows what I said. He knows what I've been around. And he delights in me. Oh, my friend, he more than delights in you. He loves you. And if you're a dude, I know for me, that's hard sometimes to really grasp, let it really sink into my heart that somebody would love me, that somebody would care on such a deep level. But that's what he's saying. And then it goes on in verse number seven. In the same way, there is more joy, not just joy in heaven. There's more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents. Right now, heaven celebrates when we come home. They say, throw a party. There's a new name written down in the Lamb's book of life. We used to sing an old hymn that said, and it's mine. Yes, it's mine. Is your name written down this morning? Do you know that it's there? If they were to open the book and they would look for your name, would they say, yeah, it's right here. I remember the party. Man, when you got saved, we threw a party, man. Because we weren't sure you were ever going to make it. So when you made it, oh, you got a good party. Oh, man, there's still leftover cake in the fridge. You, you go have some. It's good. It's Peter's Bakery, man. Burnt all is good. It's good stuff. Because you got saved. And that was a big deal. What do you think it was like when the Apostle Paul got saved? I think that was a big deal. What do you think it was like when somebody else in the Bible, they give their life to Christ? That's a big deal, man. It's a big deal when anybody comes to Christ. You see, this is the message. This is God's message. This is the gospel, my friend. But this gospel, this message is our mission. Near you or by you is a little card that says, who's your one? This card is a big deal for us at Southridge because we believe in the one and we want to populate heaven and depopulate hell. And we want to see people saved from every background, from every language, from every tribe. We want to see them saved. And we want to begin praying that God would save them. And so I want you to start thinking of a name and you're going to write a name on that card. And then during the invitation, we want you to put it on that cross, just like the first service did. And we're going to start praying over all of these names, asking God that over the next couple of weeks that we would see them saved, that God would give you an opportunity to take them out to coffee, to take them out to dinner and talk to them about Jesus and telling them that you're the wayward sheep and God is calling you home. It's why he sent me to talk to you and you're going to go talk to them. The Bible says how beautiful are the feet of them that go and preach the gospel I'm commissioning all of you because you all got great feet, okay? It doesn't matter if you've gotten a pedicure or a manicure recently. Your feet are beautiful because you're going to preach the gospel. And you go out there to your neighborhood. You go out there to your workplace. And you tell people about Jesus, that he is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by him. That's what we're called to do. Let's all stand with heads bowed and eyes closed. Thank you again for spending time with us today, and a special thanks to those who give generously to Southridge Church. It is because of you that this ministry is possible. And if you want to learn more about Southridge, you can follow us on social media at Southridge Now. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe or share it with a friend, or even take a screenshot and share it on your social story. Make sure you tag Southridge Church and let it be a blessing to somebody else. Thank you again, and we'll catch you on the next one.